It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas, Register today at thisisils.org. Justin and so good. Thousands of spring deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save big today on new arrivals from Kate Spade, New York, Nike, Sam Edelman, Free People, and Madewell, starting at only $30. Great brands and great prices on dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and more. So rack your look and get first dibs on spring styles you want now from just $30 at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Through 25 seasons, 4,561 episodes, I believe the Oprah Winfrey Show was one of the greatest classrooms in the world. I really never thought of it that way. The aha moments, the breakthroughs, the connections, the occasional ugly cry. I miss him so terribly. I miss him every single minute. The LOLs the moments that mattered, the eye-opening life lessons. Never allow them to take you somewhere else. I'm bringing them back. It's time to open the vault. I've personally chosen these classic episodes to share with you again. Every single person you ever will meet shares that common desire. They want to know, do you see me? Do you hear me? Does what I say mean anything to you? You are listening to The Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. Ready to put 11 into the big screen. Two, one. And cue Oprah. New York Jets football star, $30 million contract. He goes public with his lifelong secret. Did he have the gun to your head? Every night I knew he was coming after me. The look in his eyes said it all. You never talked about it? Never. To this day. Then, entertainment reporter, Park Avenue socialite. The life she hid, no one knew. Next. One of the NFL's brightest stars went public with a horrific secret that he has carried for years. His coach didn't know. His closest teammates didn't know. His fans had no idea. And his decision to share his story today in front of millions of people did not come easy for him. For the past few days, he has struggled with fear and with old feelings of shame. For Lavernius Coles, today is an act of bravery. Right corner of the end zone for Coles. Caught! Touchdown! Lavernius Coles is a star-wide receiver for the New York Jets. This NFL powerhouse has a big-time $30 million contract. Lavernius Coles wide open! For nearly two decades, this famous football star has been haunted by a secret. At around 10, I was introduced to my mother's boyfriend. He seemed like a nice guy. You never would think anything differently about him. I mean, he seemed like a normal guy. After his mother married her new boyfriend, they appeared to be the perfect family. But behind closed doors, Lavernius had a nightmare that was just beginning. My mom took a night job at University Hospital, and from there, that's when he started creeping into my room. For three tortuous years, Lavernius's stepfather sexually abused him at gunpoint. 
it wasn't always just oral sex. It um, became him basically putting a gun to my head and forcing himself upon me. I was being molested. Fearing for his life, Avronius kept this horrific secret. He told no one, and every night was a living hell. He basically told me either keep my penis hard or he was gonna beat me. I was scared and it felt very uncomfortable, but I didn't know how to take it because this is my mother's husband. He would tell me that if I ever told my mom, he would kill her and then kill me. My soul was damaged. I felt like I was trapped. Welcome Lavernius Coles to the show. So I know that you've been struggling with coming public with this story. Yes, ma'am. It's been very difficult for me and also my family. Um, Why did you keep it a secret for so long? Well, being in a profession that we're in, um, a lot of people I would think look down upon you. I didn't know how they would take me. I didn't think that guys in our profession, because it's so macho, you know, everybody's supposed to be a man. And, and there's so many words when that happens to you, when you're molested, your manhood has been taken, basically. And that is something that you have to deal with on a regular basis. And you always ask yourself, has your manhood been taken? And being in the sport that we're in, I, I didn't know if the guys on the team was going to look at me and say, well, you know, feel uncomfortable around me or think differently about me. So I, I just never brought it up. But even before you became a famous football star and all that comes with the fame, why didn't you tell? Well, I was, I was afraid. I, I, was, I was afraid of, of, of just rehashing the moments uh, in my mind or publicly. Or, How uh, old were you when it first started? I was 10 years old, I believe, when it first started. So you were a 10-year-old little boy? Yes, ma'am. And can you describe what you endured the very first time? Well, I know nobody ever forgets the first time. Well, the very first time it happened, um, my mom was at work, and I was at home. And it, it was late at night. It was time for me to go to bed. I took a shower, got in bed. And I never forget, I, I was sleeping very hard. Mm -hmm. And it was, I, I don't know what time it was, didn't have a clock. And I just remember waking up and he's standing over me. And I'm wondering, what is he doing in my room this time of night? Have I done something wrong? Yeah. And at that point, things began to get a little uncomfortable. You, you wonder why a man is touching you in the manner that he's touching you. And, and from there, you just... Because you're 10. Yes, ma'am. You're, ve you're very uncomfortable in a situation like that. Of course you were uncomfortable. So he started touching you first. Did he, did he say, come with me? Did he get in your bed? I believe the first night it was, it was, it was, it was come with me, come to me to, um, to the master bedroom um, where he slept. And from there, things just began to, to unravel. And he always kept a gun present. When you're young, at, at that age, uh, the presence of a gun is very threatening. So did he have the gun to your head? Did he threaten you with the gun? Or was the gun just available for you to see? Well, and at first, the gun is just there for you to see. Um, it wasn't until sexual, sexual things started happening that the gun was actually to my head, um, uh, to keep, basically just to keep me still. The first time that he molested you, that's the word you want to use? Yes. Molested you. The first time that he molested you, did you feel, did he? Threaten you? Did he say, if you tell? It wasn't until after he was done, he let me know at that point that if you ever tell anybody, I will, I will kill your mother and I will kill you. Mm -hmm. I mean, and the look in his eyes said it all. I mean, it, it, was, it was very threatening. Was, so how long did this go on? It, it happened over the course of three years, two and a half, three years. And 
All the time? All the time. I mean, the only time maybe it didn't happen is when my mom was at home or, or she was off work. And your mom worked nights? Yes. Mm -hmm. So every night you knew? Every night I he knew. He was coming after you? He was you. coming after me. Yeah. And how did you act out or react to this in your everyday life? Well, I think your grades and everything begins to... I, believe, I know my grades did. I, I began to lash out. My attitude was different towards people. I just really never cared about anything. Um, I was just always just angry, angry at everybody um, for no reason, wondering why, I had, why is this happening to me? Mm -hmm. So you were enraged. You were enraged. You were filled with rage because when you are angry and aren't able to express that anger, that turns into rage. Yes, ma'am. And you don't even know why. Don't know why. The teachers are saying, so you were acting out in school and they'd see you come in and go, oh, here comes that Lavernius. Um, teachers weren't very happy about me. He got called in to the school a couple times. Of course, my mom didn't know about it um, because he pretty much handled everything for his school and everything like that. She allowed him to be um, the man that disciplined us and, and things of that nature. So when, when, when I was just being bad, it was kind of, he kind of just brushed it off. He didn't punish me outside of the way I was being punished that night. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. Price drop. Time to shop. Get to a Nordstrom Rack store today for first dibs on new markdowns. Now score even more, up to 70% off brands everyone loves at Nordstrom Rack. Denim, dresses, sneakers, tops, and more. Plus, get genius deals on jackets, sweaters, and boots for the whole family. Shop your Nordstrom Rack store today and save up to 70% with new markdowns. But hurry, deals this great won't last. So tell me, how did people find out? Well, it, it was a day at school. It was a rumor with friends that was going around about me being gay or liking men uh, at a young age in eighth grade. And, and why that did that rumor start? My stepfather was telling my friends. Your stepfather yes. was telling your friends. friends that I was gay. Mm -hmm. So around the school, one of my closest friends, he was going around telling people that I was gay. And I asked him about it, and he said he said it, and I just became very enraged because this is somebody who I trusted and who I thought was a friend of mine. And I went after him very, very tough. I mean, they ended up calling the police. Mm -hmm. and, that, and then when the police came, they said, well, this seems real weird that a, a young man would actually go after somebody in this fashion just for them calling him gay. And the police officer was like, there has to be something more there than just you being, them, them just calling you gay. And after they pounded on me for a while, um, I, I just finally came when out you, and told What do you mean by pounded on you? Well, no, he just kept asking. He kept asking because he knew for some reason that it just wasn't it. He said, there's something else behind this that's, that's motivating you to Because did you beat the guy up, the kid up pretty bad? I grabbed him and went after him pretty bad. I mean, I, okay. I was enraged. And so the police officer kept questioning you. That's what you mean by pounding you, by, yes. by questioning, questioning, Question. questioning you, pushing you harder and harder to answer, was there something more? more? And what happened? I ended up coming out telling him that I was being molested at home. Wow. And what did the police officer say? I just basically said, I said, my stepfather has been molesting me at home. And from there, it just was silent. 
the police officers basically just, I remember them stepping out of the room because from what I understood, he was supposed to have been there at that time. when you Your know, stepfather? Every, yes, he was supposed to have been called and he was, I guess he was out front in the office. And I guess by the time they went back out there, he had left. Uh-huh. And so then how was your mother told? I think she was called to the school that day and I, I remember seeing her when they had me in, uh, I guess the police car that afternoon. I never told her, we never talked about it at all. You never talked about it? Never. To this day, never spoken of it. So what happened to your stepfather after that? Well, um, he ended up going to jail, um, serving time. He went on a run for a couple hours, from what I understand. So I heard, heard that you had a lot of guilt uh, after your stepfather was arrested. Yes, I felt very bad because I knew um, that our lives had changed when he came into our life. I mean, when I was younger, we were doing a lot of apartment hopping, as I call it, where we was living in an apartment here and then an apartment there. Sometimes we'd move in with my aunt, uh, move in with my grandma, just so my mom could try to make ends meet and make enough money to pay the bills. Um, we was doing okay for ourselves. We had a nice apartment and we was doing pretty good. And for me, I, for a while, I kind of felt like I messed things up because after he left, we went back to that same lifestyle again, of moving around all the time, just, just her trying to make ends meet. So you felt guilty? Yes, felt very guilty. Do you still fear him in any way? Yes. Um, I fear him very much. Um, I haven't seen him in, I don't know how many years, but just seeing his face or just thinking that I would see his face again, I think terrifies me because I don't know what he would do. You don't know? Don't know. And you don't feel comfortable that you could now protect yourself? I feel like probably physically I could protect myself, but just anytime someone is capable of pulling a gun and pointing it at you, there's, there's something wrong there with that person, I believe and that you, you never know to what extent they, they would go to try and hurt you. And so when you were struggling with whether or not to come on the show and to talk about this publicly, even though you had gone public with your teammates and feared their reaction, the struggle was about what for you? Well, the, the struggle was, you know, just with, with family again, having to deal with it. And then- What's the then, family got to do with it? Well, wait, well, my family is what's most important to me. We're a very close knit group and then that I always put them before I put myself. Even with me being molested, I always had my family before myself. And I always felt like I was the, pretty much the man that had to take care of my mom and my sister. Mm -hmm. So I basically was, was their protector. They're always most important to me. So Lavernius's mother, Sarita, is here. And you and Lavernius have never talked about this. Never talked about it. He didn't say anything, so I didn't say anything. Um... I think from the day we left the last appointment at the psychiatrist's office, and he said, Mom, I'm all right. He said, God has healed me. And after he said that, we never talked about it again until now. Who told you? How did you find out, Sarita? Um, they called me to the school and told me that he had been in a fight. And so I went to the school, and they kept me sitting there a long time. I knew that was kind of strange just for a fight. And eventually, when the police officer came out, he said to me, he said, your son has revealed to us that your husband has been molesting him. And the only thing that I could literally do is just, in shock, begin to weep. And my brother, my baby brother was with me. He just fell to the ground and began to just scream. And then all of a sudden, I felt like, okay, I got to get myself together. Because you say to yourself, now it's your fault because you brought this person in your child's life. So tell me this, 
you had no idea. No idea, and, and sitting here now hearing a lot of what he's saying, I remember times spanking him for his grades because I felt like if I can work two and three jobs, you can go to school and get your grades. Mm -hmm. And not understanding that something else was really there. So now, as a parent, I, I feel real bad because now, when I you didn't look recognize... back on this, when you look back on it now, hearing him tell us the story yes. here, do you see signs? Do you now see signs I see with signs. your husband. Do you see signs? Yes. And it's really important for you to tell us what you saw because, as I was sharing with Lavernius before this show, there are millions of little boys and girls, of course. I think it's so really brave of him to be a black man and have the courage to do this because you know there's shame in the culture about it. There seems to be double shame in the black community about yes. it. Like nobody ever speaks it. Yeah. But Lavernius knows that what he's doing is going to change lives for a lot of kids and a lot of black kids who are going to see themselves in you. And it's really important, I think, for you as a mother who now can look back and see the signs that other mothers are ignoring. What would that be? My ex-husband was raised by his mother. And when you see certain things, you start making an excuse for it instead of really calling it what it is yeah. and... Um, like what, Sarita? Just feminine things about him. He had a certain amount of distance even with me, and I thought that was the um, Christian side, you know, because you're keeping yourselves before marriage. So we stayed free of those things before marriage, and I thought that was... You mean no was, sex before no marriage? No sex before and marriage. you thought that was great because... And I thought that was the excellent thing, and I mean, I had so much honor for him as a man to not mm -hmm. want to violate a woman before marriage. Do you blame yourself? Uh, oh, yes. A lot of years of guilt. I, I've, I've so many times have cried out in the midnight hour. Did he have... Can I ask you this on TV? If you don't want to answer, don't. But did he have sex with you regularly? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So he was having sex with you. So it's not like you thought he's not... Because yeah, after you it. got married, he did have sex with yeah, you. Yeah, after we got married. And so when you heard that this man had been molesting your son, that's the word you choose to use. I have another word for it, but when he was... Violated. Yeah, your son. It really is rape. It and is. I know that's not what a word that you choose to use, but it really is it rape. It is. So he raped your son. And that's hard, you know, even saying that. So he bad. raped your son night after night after night after night after night. When you deal with that, when you look at that and see that for what it is, and you heard that for the first time. You said your brother fell to the floor. You literally go numb and just saying, I can't believe that this was happening. Um, I did not have any idea, or I would never have stayed in that relationship at all, not at the cost of my babies. No, I wouldn't. And Lavernius, I hear too that you've been haunted by nightmares about abuse. Do you still have those nightmares? After I came out about it, um, I had a, actually a nightmare that night. And I woke up the next day and I, it, was, it was pretty early. It was probably about 4.30 and I couldn't go back to sleep. I just sat there and just thought about it. And, and I, I started to actually think about, well, did I do the wrong thing? Am I going to bring back something I thought I had kind of put behind me? And I just started just reflecting upon everything that had happened over those years and the way things went. And then the next day, I just started getting letters in from people 
that was, you know, concerned and said, and people calling saying, you know, they didn't know and how they felt, their hearts went out to me. And I just felt like, um, just, just different. I mean, the nightmares I, I think I would probably have for years and years to come, but they're not as frequent. Not as frequent. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas, Register today at thisisils.org. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've said this many times before that I think the worst thing about any form of abuse or violation is not the exact violation, although being raped every night is a horrible thing. You know, it's an unimaginable thing that as a little boy, 10 years old, you look at your 10-year-old self and your 11-year-old self and your 12-year-old self, and you see how the innocence of that is violated. That's bad, but what is even worse is the shame that you carry because of it. The shame, don't you feel that? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, the nothing compared, the pain of the violation, the pain of the seduction has nothing to do with the shame that you carry, what you tell yourself about yourself. How has that abuse and that shame affected you, do you think? Well, I think it, it kind of made me just not like people in general, but the trust I had for people outside of my family was, was none. I gave no one a chance. It, it separated me from a, lo a lot of people, a, a lot of things I like to do. I started staying indoors more often. I, I basically fell in love with video games. That's, that's, that, that's, that is what I loved. I just, just wanted to do everything alone. If I had a problem, I dealt with it internally. I didn't talk about it, didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I just, just kind of was in my own little world for, for a long time because of the rage. And so how do you think the abuse affected your relationships with women? Well, it, it, I think the trust factor, it, it makes it very hard for me to trust women, makes it very hard for me to trust people in general. But I think it has a lot to do with why I'm probably not married today or because the, the way I, feel, I felt about myself and not knowing how a woman would take having a man that this has happened to. Tell me this, I know you did this interview with the New York Times, why did you decide to go public? I thought about all the kids um, around the, the, the world, actually, in, in the U.S., that probably might be going through some of the same things that I went through and didn't have the courage to come out and say anything because I didn't have the courage at the time um, to say anything. And years later, here I am, a professional athlete, with the opportunity to, to say something and re maybe reach one child that, that, that is, this is happening to and give him the courage and the strength to come out and say, uh, this is happening to me and this is wrong. I think I've, I've done my part because I don't ever want this to ever happen to anybody. You did not tell your mother you were gonna go public when you went to New York Times, why? Because it was something I had dealt with in, internally. I think I thought about it for at least a year about doing it. And um, I got to a point where I was comfortable with myself and me having the support on my team that I thought I would have with the, the friendship and the relationships I've developed with the guys on the team and that, them not knowing. So I, I, I thought about it, I said, I think now is the time for me just to go ahead and, and say it and, and help somebody. I felt I had actually waited too long because I've had those, the media there for a long time and I could have had the opportunity to come out and say something a long time ago to help someone 
and I didn't. So I was kind of disappointed in myself, but I had to make sure that I was comfortable with myself. And that you were ready. And that I was ready as a man to, to step out and, and say something. Oprah Show, regular psychologist, Dr. Robin Smith is here. And what do you want to say to Lavernius, Robin? I want to say I have met a man today who is a miracle, um, you. And when you talk about what it means to be a man, being afraid, you know, what people will think, Oprah, my thought today is, Lavernius, you are an example, a brilliant, beautiful, perfected example of what it means to be a man, what it means to be strong, what it means to be real, what it means to be spirited and spiritual. And I feel like you're relanguaging for America and the world, for girls and boys, but also for men who don't know what it really looks like to be a man, that you are showing us today, not only that you are a miracle, but that you are a real man. I'm struck, and you know, we can get Kleenex out for all of us today. Psychologists cry too, because it is powerful to watch someone be robbed, and Oprah is right. It is not just being molested. We need to call it what it is, and you need to call it, and your mother needs to call it rape. If this were a girl, a woman, we'd be rape, 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 rape because it's a man. It's like, well, he was sexually molested. It, it like, you know, kind of waters it down a little bit. But it's rape. And it's not just physical rape and all of the trauma that happens to a boy's body. And those are private, sacred things for you to deal with. But I imagine there were lots of things, prices that you paid, maybe still pay. You know, there are things like going to bed at night where some of us go to bed and we sleep and we're not worried about somebody coming in. You couldn't even sleep peacefully. Well, that's another piece of the rape. It's not just physical. The other piece that was raped was your spirit. See, there was a lie that was told, and perpetrators do this. They groom their victims. Yeah. So that gun that was put first for you to see and then eventually put at your head was part of grooming you. It was part of making him big and you small. And the smaller you got, the bigger he became. And even today when Oprah asked, you know, are you still afraid? And you said, I feel like I could physically protect myself. But what you're really saying is, and I, and I love that you said this, you said, you know, somebody who would do this, <laughs> I don't know what kind of person this is. And it's good for you to be aware that you still have that fear. But the new information I want you to have is that he can't touch you ever again. And not just physically. I know he can't physically touch you. You, A, have the resources to protect yourself. But, but besides that, your spirit now, because you've broken the silence, see, the, the silence is as deadly as the abuse. Because the silence that you guys never talked before today, when we're silent about stuff, what we're really saying is this is so bad, and it's so ugly, and it's so dark that we can't even speak. We'll go to the psychiatrist, that's good. 
will pray and ask God for help, that's good. But we've got to come together as a family, which is what's happening today, and begin to say, Mom, and for you to say, Lavernius, and to begin to talk about what really happened. So as we do that, we break the clutches that this man had on you and had on you. And so you don't need to be afraid anymore because the truth now, he's exposed. The exposure, it's the boogeyman in the closet. You know, then you turn the light on and you look in and you say, wow, there's no boogeyman in there. So the lights are on today all over the world for you and for every little boy and girl who would blame themselves that an adult would violate them, the lie is broken. It is broken, and you are the one who is breaking it, saving lives. It's a miracle, not only that you survived it, but you are a miracle that you are taking the risk. When you said you didn't have courage to tell your story when you were either younger, well, that's, it's not that you didn't have courage, that's called survival. <laughs> See, we gotta decide when we can speak the truth. It's not safe to always tell the truth. So it made sense when you were young that you didn't tell the truth. It made sense when you were older, you were scanning the world. Is it safe yet? I'm, are these team players gonna mistreat me? Will the media exploit me? Will I be looked down on? You're still scanning. That's why you said you're not married. That makes sense to me. You're trying to figure out who can I trust? Not just with my money, but with my spirit, my mind, my soul. Who can I trust? You're a smart man. You're a wise man. You're a thoughtful man. You're a mindful man. And you're imaging for the world what it looks like to get free. See, we need to watch somebody who was in bondage, because we pretend to all be free, but we need to watch somebody who was locked up in their minds, who finds their way out. And you are our example that it can happen. Thank you, Dr. Robin. Excellent. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. I was talking to Dr. Robin Smith recently, and she told me that there is an unspoken epidemic in America, women who are living a lie. Whether you stay in an abusive marriage, or you live beyond your means, or you turn a blind eye to your husband's affairs, we are talking to you. I want you to meet Jeanette Walls. Jeanette was a glamorous entertainment reporter, socialite, who says that she was one of those women living a big old lie. Well, we're here at the Shrine Auditorium, where the best and the brightest of the television world are descending. Entertainment reporter Jeanette Walls was everywhere. Now all the celebrities are heading to the hottest parties in town. In magazines, on television, and on the internet, dishing out the latest on the rich and famous. I covered 
Oscar parties, I covered the Academy Awards, I covered the Golden Globes. I was interviewing the richest, most powerful people in the world. Jeanette wasn't just covering high society, she was living it too. I was living on Park Avenue. I was married to a, a very well-to-do man. I was living in a neighborhood where, you know, Jerry Seinfeld lived. Catherine Zeta-Jones goes to my gym. <laughs> I, you know, I was, I, I, I live a life right out of Vanity Fair. I thought I had everything. I thought, this is it, I am everything. But at the same time, I was a complete phony. I'm a liar, I don't belong here. And I knew that. I lived in fear of being exposed for who I really was. It was just a matter of time before Jeanette's long buried secret past would be uncovered. I lived in West Virginia. We lived in a little tiny house without indoor plumbing and I would literally wash my face in snow because we didn't have running water. We had a yellow bucket in the kitchen that we used instead of a toilet. It was disgusting and I had nightmares about it for years afterwards. Jeanette's alcoholic father and eccentric mother could not hold down jobs, so the family was penniless. From a very early age, if you just sort of knew this is the way it is, and you don't turn to mom and dad and tell them you're hungry. You know, we'd go for days sometimes without food. We'd sometimes just look in the garbage behind us for, for food. When I would go to school, the kids would all, they would just find me and they would beat me up. They would literally throw rocks at us. At 17, with only $100, Jeanette boarded a bus, determined never to look back. I skedaddled out of West Virginia and came to New York. And I got myself a job. I got an apartment, and we had electricity, and we had heat. You could turn on and have a hot bath every single night. With sheer determination, she finished high school, graduated from Barnard and Ivy League College, and became a rising star reporter. Once I'd sort of achieved a certain level of success, I was living in constant fear that my secret would get out and that people would realize who I was and who my parents were. I wanted to create a new person, but my past followed me. Meanwhile, to Jeanette's horror, her vagabond parents trailed her to New York. My first reaction was, stay away, just get away from me. As she lived in the lap of luxury on Park Avenue, her parents slept on the streets. I said, please don't tell anybody that you're my parents. It's very hard for me to explain to people why you're living like this. But one night, Jeanette realized she could no longer live the lie. I was going to a party, and I was all decked up. And I glanced out the window. A woman was rooting in the garbage. She was about 15 feet away from me. And the woman was my mother. So to my eternal shame, I slid down in the back of the taxi, and I hid. The emotion that seized me at that moment was a fear that she would spot me and that my secret would be out. What happened after you saw your mother in that dumpster that night? Well, I went home to Park Avenue and I paced around the apartment and I looked in the mirror and I didn't much like the person looking back at me. And I got in touch with my mother. Uh, we had an elaborate system for getting together. I had dinner with her. And I said, Mom, what am I supposed to tell people when they ask me about you? And she said, tell them the truth. As though it was the simplest thing in the world. But I, I felt I couldn't possibly explain to anybody why my parents were living like that. And moreover, what kind of monster would let her parents live on the street while she was living on Park Avenue? Because had you tried to reach your parents? Oh, I was, I was in regular contact with them. Uh -huh. They had come to New York, they followed. We sort of 
They lived with my sister for a while. Things got crazy. Then they went out on the street. And I'd seen them from time to time. They're very articulate people. My father's dead now, but they were on TV a lot, being quoted about the rights of homeless people. And they were all over the place. And it was just, I was leading a completely Had fraudulent Had you offered life. to give them a home oh, yeah. or provide them with shelter? Yes, yes. Many times I've offered to help my mother to have her move in with us. But my mother, and I love her dearly, but she chooses the life she leads. And it took me a really long time to understand and accept that. I finally come to sort of appreciate and not be ashamed of whatever it is that she has to offer. And how did you get to that? I did exactly what my mother told me to do. I told the truth. Uh -huh. There was no doubt in my mind that once people knew who I really was, that I would lose all my friends, that I would lose my family, or that I would lose my job, that I would lose everything I'd worked so hard for. I'd be a pariah. I hugely underestimated people's capacity for compassion. So the eye-opener for me has been, you know, shame is a very isolating emotion. And you build up the shell around you. And what was your shame? Was your shame that you had not been able to convince your parents to take another lifestyle? Was your shame that you were in denial about your past life? What was your shame? It was a dual shame. One was that I was living this life while my parents were living another. So it was guilt was part mm -hmm. of it. Mm -hmm. The other was who I was. It was my past. You know, I had eaten out of garbage cans when I was hungry. I had led a life that I was definitely ashamed of. And I thought if people knew that I wasn't this glamorous person, okay. that they would reject me. So were you living a lie in absolutely. a way? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, not in a way. Absolutely. I was a complete fraud. And that really interfered with any sort of happiness that I had or any feeling really? of success that I had. Oh, absolutely. And any time I ate well, I felt guilty about my parents. I felt like a fraud for just dressing up and going out. Mm -hmm. Dr. Robin says what? You say fear and shame are what keeps us from being truthful. And, and living real lives. I mean, I think your story is, it may feel extreme to you in terms of dumpsters and eating garbage, but it really makes sense to me that you felt that there was not enough room for you to be who you were and who you wanted to be. And the past is a huge thing. I mean, people are judged by unfortunately, again, in this country, you know, where you came from and what your parents do and what do you do. And if you talk about eating out of a dumpster, it doesn't often make someone feel like, oh, that's the person I want to choose, you know, to be my editor or do my job. So the part of the lie that you're helping us look at is, Oprah, the bigger deal is really about the lies that people live every day that may not feel as dramatic or drastic as yours, but people who are pretending to be happy when they're not. Jeanette and I were just talking. I was talking about that rarefied world that you were talking about. I find that so interesting because one of the things I love about myself <laughs> is uh, that I, I can travel in all different worlds. And so I'm, I'm, I'm around some of the same people that you're talking about. And that the whole idea that you can be with a group of people who care about your pedigree mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. me is so insulting. Repulsive. Yeah, I, I just can. think uh -huh. head degree, because mm -hmm. I'm not an animal, I'm not a, right. yeah. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking, did you not ever feel in that rarefied world that those people are miserable too? That whole lifestyle seems like such a facade to me. And that was part of my epiphany, and that was part of why I sort of decided I can let go of this, because this thing that I so desperately wanted when I was growing up, to have the money and to have the clothes and to yeah. be able to take a bath on a regular basis, but to be able to be accepted into the society. By those people. By those people, that that isn't worth, that's not valuable. It's not yeah. the answer, and it's not, 
you don't get happiness out of that. It's also not real. See, that's the thing we want to understand, yeah. that it's uh -huh. not only does it not have value, mm -hmm. but often what we are in pursuit of is an image. It's right. a movie kiss. Right. Yeah. It's a Hollywood look. It's airbrushed bodies. And so when you it's start- It's the Kodak moment, it's I call it. It's a Kodak it. moment, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And so you have to think about, I'm in pursuit of a relationship that does not exist in reality. What was the, the central element that helped you to begin to shed the shame? Well, one was my mother challenging me to tell the truth. One actually sort of involves you in a sort of roundabout way. I was, I was covering a, uh, the launch of O Magazine, and uh, I was asking celebrities, you know, what makes Oprah Winfrey special? And it was your friend, Gail King, who said something. She said, I said, what makes Oprah Winfrey special? And she said, while she's pulling herself up with one hand, she's pulling other people up with the other hand. And I thought, oh my God. Gail I, said that? Yes, she did. <laughs> <laughs> And, okay. And okay. That's nice. It made me really think about my own life because I, I think I had been very selfish in trying to get ahead and trying to, I built up this shell and I didn't really care about anybody other than myself in getting ahead. You know what I find so interesting is that you were a celebrity uh -huh. and are celebrity columnist. Uh -huh. And that, you know, part of your job is finding out stuff about people. Other people's secrets, yeah. Other people's secrets. Uh -huh. And what if somebody had exposed yours? It was something I thought about all the time. All the time. It was this incredible hypocrisy. And I thought that maybe one of the reasons I went into my job is to sort of show that we're all equal. But I, I, I really do wonder about the sort of digging and getting behind facades because I had built up my own. And I think that the, I'm still a work in progress, honey, okay? So I'm figuring we these things are. out. We all are. <laughs> you can read more of Jeanette's story in her book called The Glass Castle, the glass castle. I want to say, Lavernius Coles, thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Was it okay? Yes, ma'am. It, it was lovely. good. I know you were nervous. <laughs> Jeanette Walls, thank you. thank you. Thank you both for having the courage to tell your stories. Robin Smith, Dr. Robin, you're good, girl. Thank you. Bye, everybody. You're good. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to the Oprah Winfrey Show, the podcast. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Oprah show, The Podcast. And I thank you for listening. It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joe's, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find?